welcome to the Once Again Podcast. We are your hosts, Ashley and Jason. In this episode, we will be looking at the 1963 film, The Sword in the Stone. In this series, we won't be doing a deep analysis of the film, or giving a bunch of behind-the-scenes facts, but rather giving our impressions of the overall film and the songs from the film. We'll also be giving the score to the film and ranking the songs. So grab some popcorn, sit back, and enjoy this episode. The Sword in the Stone is a 1963 American animated musical fantasy comedy film produced by Walt Disney and released by Buena Vista Distribution. The 18th Disney animated feature film, it is based on the novel of the same name by T.H. White, first published in 1938 and then revised and republished in 1958 as the first book of White's Arthurian Tetragology, The Once and Future King. Directed by Wolfgang Reithman and unaccredited Hamilton Lusk, the film features the voices of Ricky Sorison as Wart and Arthur, although in my research I found out that there was also a uh, Richard Reithman and a Robert Reithman that were mixed in to give Arthur the effect of his voice changing throughout the film. Mm. Like There's times where he yells and you can hear his voice cracking and everything, and they did that for certain lines, mixing this in. Carl, uh, Carl Swenson as Merlin, Junus Matthews as Archimedes, Ginny Taylor as Little Girl Squirrel, Sebastian Cabot as Sir Ector and the narrator, Norman Alden as Sir Kay, Alan Napier as Sir Pelinor, and Martha Wentworth as Madame Min, Old Lady Squirrel, and the Scullery Maid. Sadly, The Sword in the Stone was the last animated film from Walt Disney Productions to be released in Walt's lifetime. Disney first acquired the rights to the, to the novel in 1939, and there were various attempts at developing the film over the next two decades before production on the film officially began. Bill Peet wrote the story for the film, while the songs were written by the Sherman Brothers. This is the first animated Disney film to feature songs by the Sherman Brothers. They went on to contribute music to such Disney films as Mary Poppins, The Jungle Book, The Aristocats, and The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. George Bruns composed the film's score, following his work on the previous two animated Disney films, Sleeping Beauty and 101 Dalmatians. He also composed the scores on the next three animated Disney films, The Jungle Book, The Aristocats, and Robin Hood. The film received mixed reviews, but became a box office success. A live-action remake has entered development in 2015 and is set to be directed by Juan Carlos Fresenido, I believe I'm saying that correctly, but I, I have no idea. I apo- That's right. Yeah, I apologize, Juan, if I'm not. And released on Disney+. Plus. The budget for the film was $3 million, or $28.6 million today. And the box office was $22.2 million, And that is only from the U.S. and Canada. I couldn't get the worldwide statistics. Out, or, and that equals $212 million today. The Sword in the Stone premiered in London on December 12, 1963. It was released to theaters on December 18th in the United Kingdom and December 25th in the United States. It was re-released on December 22, 1972. The film was then again re-released to theaters on March 25, 1983 as a double feature with the animated short Winnie the Pooh and A Day for Eeyore. The Sword in the Stone was released on North American VHS, Betamax, and Laserdisc in 1986 as an installment of the Walt Disney's uh, Classics Collection. 
It was re-released on VHS in 1989 and on VHS and Laserdisc on July 12, 1991. It was first released on VHS in the United Kingdom in 1988, followed by a reissue the following year. Another re-release on VHS and Laserdisc occurred on October 28, 1994, this time as part of the Walt Disney Masterpiece Collection. The film was released on VHS and DVD on March 20, 2001, as an, an installment in the Walt Disney Gold Classic Collection. The VHS edition included the goofy short Night for a Day, while the DVD contained the Mickey Mouse short uh, Brave Little Taylor, and the episode All About Magic from the Disneyland television program and Film Facts. The DVD of the film was re-released as a 45th anniversary special edition on June 17, 2008. For its 50th anniversary, the film was released on Blu-ray on August 6, 2013, Despite being uh, touted as a new remaster of the film, this release was heavily criticized by home media reviewers for the scrubbed quality of the video transfer due to excessive use of noise reduction. The film was edited by Donald Holliday. The production company is Walt Disney Productions. The runtime for the film is 74 minutes. So let's dive into the plot. And my first note here is that we have fancy opening credits and then a book opening. Yay! Yeah, so exciting. <laughs> yeah. Um, the film begins in England with the death of the king, Uther Pendragon. No heir is named, and so England is threatened to be torn apart by war. Miraculously, the mystical sword in the stone appears in London and is an inspiration proclaiming that whomever pulls it out is the rightful king of England. Many try to remove the sword, but none succeed and the sword is soon forgotten, leaving England in the Dark Ages. So my first note here is that we have a song, or we have the song The Sword in the Stone, sung by Fred Darien. It's a short song, beautifully sung, and a good way to open a Disney classic. I gave it a 7 out of 10. You gave it an 8 out of 10. I really enjoyed it. Okay. I liked, liked it. Really? We know I'm not usually all for that, usually. No, so. that's, I'm very I surprised. right now, you're like, yeah. who are you? Yeah, no, I really liked it. Okay, well, good to hear. And I wrote that we get to see some of that creepy Disney animation with the dark and scary forest. And the first character that we meet is Merlin getting water from a well. And I wrote down, do you think this could be the once upon a time well? <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> yeah. Eventually we're going to get back to once upon a time. So I'm trying to tie everything into it with a neat little bow. I know. Yeah. The, the viewers are probably, the listeners are probably uh, wondering here where once upon a time soon, soon. disappeared off to. Yeah, it, it, we're, we're coming up on season two soon. Don't worry. We have, we have some plans and, you know, some of them fell by the wayside, but we'll be coming up on uh, season two of Once Upon a Time soon. And I also wrote down that I uh, love how Merlin calls it the Dark Ages because there's no plumbing and electricity. And I had a third, uh, third note saying, is this a version of Merlin who ages backwards? Because some... Arthurian legends have that, that Merlin ages backwards. He starts off as, a, as an old man in the future and then goes backwards through time to become a young man in the past. Interesting. It's, yeah, but no, uh, this film concludes that it's just a Merlin who can time travel whenever he wants to and wherever he wants to go. <clears throat> it's so funny. Yeah. I love that he does it randomly, too, and makes the random, like, throughout the film, the mm -hmm. random, like, well, when this happens, like, hundreds of years from now. <laughs> yeah. But some years later, Arthur, a.k.a. Wart, a 12-year-old orphan, is training to be a squire, and he is accompanying his older foster brother, Sir Kay, on a hunting trip. 
Arthur accidentally prevents Kay from shooting a deer, and it goes to retrie- and goes to retrieve the arrow to make up for his mistake. While tracking down the arrow, Arthur is pursued by a hungry wolf. And I wrote down that this is a comical Disney wolf. He's skinny, he has an expressive face, and pupils. A creepy Disney wolf would be large, showing its fangs, and have black, expressionless eyes. So. This poor wolf the entire time. Like, I was almost like, oh man, you deserve to eat Arthur. <laughs> you deserve it. The once and future king of England, he deserved uh, it. You know, that wolf put in a lot of effort. He, he did. That's fair enough. You're For right. For nothing. Yeah. And and later in the film, too, he tries again. Oh, no. He puts in a lot of effort, this yeah. film. Yeah. For no reward. No. In the woods, Arthur falls into the cottage of Merlin, a powerful wizard. Merlin announces that he will be Arthur's tutor, packs up, and the two return to Arthur's home, a castle run by Sir Ector, one of Uther's knights and Arthur's foster father. And so we have the song here, Higitus Figitus, sung by Carl uh, Swenson. And I wrote that it's a nonsense song, but the animation sequence of Merlin packing up his cottage is really cool, and I gave it a 6 out of 10. It is a good song. I think it's funny. Uh, 7 out of 10. Okay. Also, I just want to apologize if there's a little noise in the background. It's it's very hot here today in Pennsylvania. We're in the 90s, so we have our air conditioner running in, in our room that we're doing the podcast in. So, um, I, And I, also, I, if I cough a bunch, I'm getting over COVID. This is the COVID episode. So. Yeah, yeah, we... We were going to do it remotely uh, for each other, but that's so I tested negative, so I'm yeah. good. Yeah, so we're, we're doing it live and uh, in person together. And uh, I'm hoping to catch it so I get five days off of work. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, Are you, though? <laughs> on the return to the castle, the wolf comically chases after Arthur, but to no avail. You know, he was trying to get him, and he just never did. Sir Ector does not believe in magic and refuses to allow Merlin to tutor Arthur. Merlin creates a blizzard and disappears, which persuades Hector to let Merlin stay, albeit in a decrepit old tower with countless leaks. Although he said it was the finest tower in the castle. Um, Hector's friend and fellow knight, Sir Pelinor, arrives with news about an annual jousting tournament to be held on New Year's Day in London. Only this time, the winner would be crowned King of England. Hector proclaims that Kay be knighted and compete for the title, despite Kay's obvious ineptitude in both jousting and sword fighting. Merlin begins his tutoring by transforming Arthur and himself into fish and going into the castle's moat. Arthur is chased and attacked by a pike and saved by Archimedes, Merlin's owl. So I wrote down that Arthur and Merlin joke about how Archimedes is always grumpy because he stays up all night. Uh, but gentlemen, owls are nocturnal. That's that's what Archimedes... Archimedes is like... Literally the smart person this entire film. Yeah. Like, he I, is the voice of reason. Mm-hmm. I love Archimedes. He's my favorite owl. Like, even before Arthur gets to, the, like, Merlin's house earlier, Archimedes is like, how do you even know something's going to happen today? Yeah. Yeah. But no, Archimedes is my favorite owl. That's right, I said friend owl um, from Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> Archimedes friend is better. Friend owl does not matter. No, Archimedes is actually smart and sarcastic and everything. I love it. Uh, Friend Owl is he's smarter than all the other Hundred Acre Wood characters, debatably, maybe Rabbit's smarter than him. But he gives them bad advice all the time. It happens to work out, but he he's actually an idiot. He's also full of himself. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And we have the song here, What Makes the World Go Round, sung by Carl Swenson and Ricky Sorensen. 
and I wrote down that I think this song actually has some really good lyrics as far as teaching uh, children a lesson, and maybe a modern version would be, be would be better. That said, I give it a 6 out of 10. Yeah, I can see that. I can agree with that. It did get stuck in my head for a little bit, so mm-hmm. 6 out of 10. Yeah. And then Arthur is sent to the kitchen as punishment after he tried to tell his lesson to a disbelieving Hector. And I wrote down Hector's line of saying, that's the biggest fish story I've ever heard. That actually made me laugh because that's a joke. Like, oh, about like yeah, guys but... lying about the size of the fish that they catch. But they use the pun in a different way here. Or I guess it's, yeah, it would be a pun. But they use it in a different way here and it actually made me laugh. Merlin arrives and magics the dishes, causing them to wash themselves. He then takes Arthur for another lesson where he, transform, where he transforms Arthur and himself into squirrels. And Arthur, as a squirrel, hops around quickly and carelessly, while Merlin, as a squirrel, moves slowly and cautiously. And that also made me laugh. Like, that Arthur, that uh, Merlin was like, whoa, slow down, take your time. And, like, he's, like, reaching from one branch to the other very care- uh, cautiously. It just made me laugh because he's an old man. And, like, eh, I thought it was funny. He's got to take care of those brittle squirrel bones. <laughs> he's probably already outlasted squirrel lifetime. Oh, most certainly. But, uh... Merlin teaches Arthur about gravity and about male-female relationships, as two female squirrels have become infatuated with them. When they return to their human form, Arthur's female squirrel cries sadly when she sees that he is really a boy. And I wrote a few notes here. Despite Merlin saying the opposites, squirrels do not actually mate for life. I looked that up to see, and actually squirrels, like, they they do the, the deed, and the men and women live separately. Or the male squirrels and female squirrels live separately. Like, the female squirrels takes care of the kids. All right. But I see you, female squirrels. Only for a few days, like, evidently. The fe- the baby squirrels are fine after a few days to take care of themselves. And the male squirrels just go do whatever male squirrels do. the patriarchy. I want to be a female goddamn squirrel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get uh, that squirrel d- and then have some babies and then kick them out right away. Like, <laughs> get uh, squirrel d- again. I... <laughs> <laughs> This is family friendly, yeah. but not at the moment. Well, we'll, we'll I'll bleep the, the, the bad things. I also laughed at Merlin saying the same thing as Arthur when he is accosted by the older female squirrel, where he says, I'm not a boy. I mean, I'm not a squirrel. I'm a boy. Like, it was the same line that Arthur said. and It just made me laugh that this old man Merlin said this because he was just so thrown off by being, you know, accosted by this female squirrel. And we have the song, A Most Befuddling Thing, sung by Carl Swenson. And my note here is, is this the horniest Disney scene so far? Maybe the Greek pantheon scene from Fantasia or the mermaids from Peter Pan are hornier, but this is pretty darn close. I gave it a 5 out of 10 for the no, song No, no, no. Those female squirrels were ready to get it on. They They're were. They were ready to, like... But do you remember the, the mermaids in Peter Pan? I know. Hello, but... Peter. Ooh. Like, and and the whole Greek scene in, in the in Fantasia, you know, Zeus was upset that he didn't get invited to this horny party, and that's why he ruined it for everyone. I don't know, but it's up there. You're right. They, the, the female squirrels were ready to get it on. And my final note for the scene was that it's always so sad the way that the scene ends with the female squirrel crying, because it's not like we see her again with a different boy, squir- uh, boy squirrel. She's just brokenhearted and alone after risking her life to save Arthur from the wolf. Because the wolf comes back and tries to eat him as a squirrel, and she saves him. Uh, so it, it just always made me sad as a kid, and still makes me sad you know what? today. I like to think she's happy somewhere out there. Yeah, she found a better squirrel boy. Maybe, maybe they should bring her into Chippendale Rescue Rangers, and 
they can they can be friends or something. When they return to the castle, Hector accuses Merlin of using black magic on the dishes after trying unsuccessfully to undo the enchanted spell on the dishes. I also I wrote down that I never really questioned it before. But why does the castle have so many dirty dishes? Yeah, this is there's not a lot of people in this castle. Like it's very understaffed. No. Under like there's not a lot of people here. There's Sir Ector, Sir Kay, Sir Pelinor, his friend, if he's still there, the scullery maid that comes up, Arthur, and Merlin. So even if let's say they're doing old timey things where you get served multiple meals in one dinner and they're having four meals a day, let's say, what's that gonna be? Maybe twenty plates at the most every day and no one washes them. In, like, there's like thousands of plates there that need to be washed. I don't know. But I also wrote down that I never noticed until now that both Sir Ector and Merlin say, by Jove, when swearing. And I like this detail as Arthurian le- legends predate Christianity in Britain, and they still would have worshipped, like, the Roman pantheon. Now, later at the end of the movie, they do uh, say something along the lines of Christendom or something, like, all, all of but. It's also because Arthurian legends were later adopted into Christianity mm-hmm. lore, or had Christianity lore mixed in there too. So I just, I just thought it was interesting that they had the by Jove in there. I thought that was a neat little detail. And then Arthur defiantly defends Merlin, but Hector punishes Arthur by first setting him with a mountain of chores, then essentially telling Arthur he cooked his goose for popping off and choosing another boy named Hobbes as Kay's squire. Arthur is devastated, but Merlin convinces him to continue his with his education. For his third lesson, Merlin transforms Arthur into a sparrow. Arthur then accompanies Archimedes on a flying lesson. Arthur is attacked by a hawk and flies down the chimney of Madame Mim, a witch who has a rival to Merlin. And I, lo- I wrote down that I like the little detail of Madame Mim's ro- uh, roof, that it looks like a witch's hat. Yeah, like, I love that too. Yeah, it's great. I think it's a cute little detail there. And we have the song Madam, Ma- uh, Mad Madam Mim, or I guess I should say Mad Madame Mim, because it's got the E there, sung by Martha Wentworth. And this is our first villain song sung by the villain themselves. Only a few lines and parts of it are purposely off-key. I gave it a 5 out of 10. I like the purposely off-key parts, but I just don't like the song overall, so 4 out of 10. You know what's funny about like the part where... Um, she turns into the beautiful woman and says, like, mm-hmm. oh, I could look like this, or I could be... It reminded me of uh, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Yes. Yeah, like, I was like, I was like, they're actually pulling a lot of Arthurian things here. Like, I, I like that little detail. Uh, for those of you who might not know Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, or Gawain, if you want to be technical about it, um, you know, look it up for yourselves and find out. Educate yourselves about this matter. But uh, Mim's magic uses trickery, as opposed to Merlin's scientific skill. Mim turns into a cat and chases Arthur around her cottage. Merlin arrives, having been summoned by Archimedes, and begins to rebuke Mim. Mim challenges Merlin to a wizard's duel, a battle of wits, where the players try to destroy one another by transforming into different animals. Mim sets several ground rules, including the rules that only real animals can be used, no imaginary ones like pink dragons, and no disappearing. During the battle, both wizards transform themselves into a variety of creatures, with Merlin turning into a turtle, a rabbit, a caterpillar, a walrus, a mouse, a crab, and a goat, while Mim becomes a crocodile, a fox, a hen, an elephant, a tiger, a snake, and a rhino. Finally, Mim transforms into a purple dragon, 
which is supposed to be against the rules, though she notes that she never explicitly outlawed purple dragons, Merlin is able to think quickly and transform himself into a germ, which infects her. Mim is put to bed, ill, though it is said that she would recover in a few weeks. I actually looked up to see if the disease that Merlin says is a real disease, and it, it's not. It was amazing. I think my favorite part is that like he turned, turned into a germ. Like, that's not breaking the rules. It actually reminded me of... I I met, I would imagine um, Neil Gaiman actually stole this from this movie, but um, mm-hmm. Neil Gaiman has a very similar scene in the Sandman comic where Morpheus battles a demon in hell, and they transform back and forth between things. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing that on the Sandman Netflix show when that comes out in August. I can't wait for that. You're kind of right. Merlin kind of did break the rules, but Mim broke the rules twice because she disappeared and right she away. And broke first, yeah yeah. yeah. yeah, So, and, you know, Merlin didn't kill her. He just left her there very sick, but she'll recover. At Christmas, Kay is knighted, but his squire Hobbs comes down with the bumps. So Ector reinstates Arthur as Kay's uh, squire. Arthur excitedly tells Merlin and Archimedes the news. Archimedes is thrilled by this, but Merlin is disappointed that Arthur still prefers war games over academics. Arthur tries to explain that he cannot become a knight because he is an orphan, so a squire is the best position he can attain, and in his words, he doesn't know how to move forward in life. This aggravates Merlin, who transforms himself into a rocket bound for Bermuda. And I wrote down that this is actually a fairly emotional scene, Arthur tears up because he is so excited to be a squire, and yet Merlin is disappointed in him. It's that kind of real-life moment when you're excited about something. It upsets yeah. me that, like, especially, like, he knows this is important to Arthur. Like, instead of, like, I know he can't explain, like, oh, this is why, like, yeah. you should aspire to bigger things. But, like, it's, like, Arthur, like, Merlin's not fair. You know what's about to happen. Yeah, I don't, like, I've read a, a couple different, um... Arthurian legends, especially, like, and the earliest ones, well, I shouldn't say the earliest ones, but the ones earliest in Arthur's life, like, Merlin doesn't explain anything to him until after stuff happens. Like, once he finally pulls the sword from the stone and becomes king and everything after a war and all this stuff, then Merlin's like, oh, yeah, the reason you could pull the sword from the stone is because you're really Uther Pendragon's son, and we hid you to keep you safe, blah, blah, blah. Like, it, it was like, why didn't you tell him that from the beginning? Like, hey, you're really supposed to be the king of England, and I'm going to teach you how to do... I, maybe it's so he wouldn't turn into Anakin Skywalker. Be like, I'm the chosen one. Blah, blah, I mean, blah. I guess that's the point. Like, <laughs> he's trying to humble Arthur to be a good king. But yeah. also, you can't get mad at a kid for getting mad when he thinks this is his only option. It, and, like, exactly. just because you know the other options doesn't mean, like, he's not seeing those options because they shouldn't exist to him. Yeah, agreed. But... Hector, Kay, Pelinor, Arthur, and Archimedes travel to London for the tournament. Moments before Kay's match, Arthur realizes that he has forgotten Kay's sword at their inn, which is now closed because of the tournament. Archimedes notices a sword in a stone in a nearby churchyard. This is where the Christianity gets pulled in, although they did have churches mm-hmm. that predate Christianity, and points it out to Arthur, who pulls the sword from the stone, unwittingly fulfilling the sword in the stone prophecy. When Arthur returns with the sword, Ector Sir, and Sir Bart uh, recognize it as the sword in the stone, and the tournament is stopped. Demanding that Arthur proves he pulls it, he pulled it, Ector replaces the sword in its anvil. Kay attempts to remove it himself, but he and none of the other men succeed in removing it. Finally, Wart manages to pull it out a second time with ease. The knights all proclaim, Hail King Arthur, long live the king, 
as the crowd, Ector, and Kay all kneel to Arthur asking for forgiveness. <laughs> Which I, I like how um, they ask Ector what his name is, and he goes, Wart. Oh, I mean Arthur. Like, and they're like, hey, like the, if he had like said it wrong, they would have been like, hey, well, King Wart. Like, <laughs> King Wart. Yeah. King Wart. <laughs> Uh, the film cuts to Arthur, now crowned king, sitting in a throne room with Archimedes, feeling completely unprepared to take the responsibility of royalty. Overwhelmed by the cheering crowd outside, Arthur calls out to Merlin for help, who arrives in 20th century attire and is delighted to find that Arthur is the king that he had seen in the future. And I wrote down that I love how Merlin complains about the 20th century when he gets back. He's just an old grouchy man, no matter where or when well, he's, he's living. Well, he's lived everywhere and lived it through everything. Of course he's grouchy. <laughs> yeah. And then Merlin tells the boy that he will rise and lead the Knights of the Round Table, accomplishing many amazing feats and becoming one of the most famous figures in literature and even motion pictures, such as this film. And that's how the, the story ends. Uh, now, I do have a couple of trivia notes here. This film makes a cameo appearance on Once Upon a Time and the episode Dark Swan as the film A Young Emma Goes to Sea and receives a cryptic warning from a disguised Merlin. So, tying it back into Once Upon a Time again. Although Walt Disney never knew it, he himself was character designer Bill Pete's model for Merlin. Pete saw them both as argumentative, cankerous, but playful and very intelligent. Pete also, des- Pete also gave Merlin Walt's nose. This was the second instance in which Walt unknowingly served as a model for a wizard, the first being the wizard Yen Sid from The Sorcerer's Apprentice in Fantasia. This explains why the character was given the name Yen Sid. That's uh, Disney read backwards. Um, which I, I actually think um, Yen Sid would mock Merlin in a wizard's battle. Oh, <laughs> like, definitely. Yen Sid's definitely the most powerful wizard in the Disney canon. <laughs> Kingdom Hearts, man. Oh, yeah. Like, Yen Sid is there like, uh, this... this... Merlin shows up walking around. Yeah. Merlin. Mer- Merlin shows up too, but he's uh, comic relief in that. Yeah. Right? So, and um, it's like I am pulling it on, holding us all together. Merlin's yeah. out doing whatever. Yeah. And this is the only animated Disney movie from the 1960s not yet to have a platinum DVD, a sequel, a TV show, or a live action remake. But that's coming. So. This thing is. I would love an live-action remake, mm. like a good remake of this. Mm. The thing that surprised me about it when I was, is that it was announced in 2015, and they do have the, that director whose name I can't pronounce, but they didn't have, like, a cast list or anything like that, and I'm like, it's been seven years. How don't they have, like, a cast or anything yet? Mm. I don't know. Interesting. So we'll have to see what happens when it comes out. This is the first Disney film in this uh, Disney animated canon, to be exclusively released in 4K, UHD, and 5.1 on Disney+, Plus, without any physical 4K UHD release, uh, followed by The Black Cauldron. The UK DVD version omits the second half of Madame Mim's first line, Sounds like someone's sick. How lovely. I do hope it's serious. Something dreadful. Uh, for unknown reasons. She only says, Sounds like someone's sick. How lovely. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know why they would do that, but for whatever reason. There were comics of, that adapted characters from this. Madame Min was adapted into the Duck universe. That's the universe where Donald Duck and Scrooge McDuck live, where she sometimes teams up with uh, Magica Dispel and or the Beagle Boys. 
She also appeared in the Mickey Mouse universe, where she teamed up with Black Pete on occasion and with Phantom Blot at one point. She was in love with Captain Hook in several storylines, in others, the uh, Phantom Blot. In many European Disney comics, she lost her truly evil streak and appears morbid yet relatively polite. Mim also appeared in numerous comics produced in the United States by studio program in the 1960s and 70s, often as a sidekick of Magica. Uh, most of the stories were published in Europe and South America. In the Disney parks, the sword, in, uh, the sword itself appears in all the Disneyland-style parks located in front of their retrospective carousels, with Disneyland's being King Arthur's carousel. A sword-pulling ceremony hosted by Merlin, where a lucky child who pulled the sword would be declared the temporary ruler of Fantasyland, was, was a common show until the ceremony ended in 2006 in the Magic Kingdom. The show operates seasonally at the other parks. On February 27th, 2020, The Sword and the Stone debuted their own parade float for the first time in Disneyland's parade, Magic Happens. It's the most beautiful thing. Have I ever seen it in person? No. But man, if you ever get a chance to watch a video of that and watch Merlin losing his shit dancing, oh. I'll have to check it out. beautiful. I've never seen it. And here we, we mention uh, in video games, Merlin is a recurring character in the Kingdom Hearts series, appearing in Kingdom Hearts, Kingdom Hearts 2, and Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep. He is voiced by Jeff Bennett. And in animation, the name of the movie is parodied in the episode Disney er, in the episode of the Disney Junior series, Jake and the Neverland Pirates, The Sword and the Stone. So I'm going to dive into my overall score then. And I wrote down that I watched this movie so many times as a child... I think it was one of the only DVD VHS tapes my grandparents had when I was growing up. So if this were the first time I was ever seeing it, I would probably say that I didn't enjoy it. However, the nostalgia of it got me. I think the animation is good, though there are a lot of hard outlines around the characters. And given how softly the backgrounds are animated, it can be quite jarring. The songs are mostly forgettable, unfortunately. And I believe the things... The things people walk away from this film with are the action scenes. Uh, Arthur being chased by the wolf, transformed into different animals, and the wizard's duel. The voice acting is very well done, in my opinion. I wrote this, <laughs> my overall opinion, very late at night, so I apologize for how <laughs> terribly worded it is. Um, so, overall, I give The Sword of the Stone a 5 out of 10. It's a mid-level Disney film. So, you know what's funny? It's like, I, while I was watching, I'm like, I forgot Madame Mim's, like, not in the whole thing. And I often think, like, a remake, like, even of just the animation, and make Madame Mim more of a, like, villain throughout. Yeah. So I think that's what this film lacks. There's really no villain. You kind of, like, got Sir Kay and all the people kind of being... But, like, nothing. Yeah. It doesn't, well, it doesn't say it in the film. But the voice actress that vo- voiced Madame Mim also voiced that scullery maid that mm-hmm. Arthur got in trouble for. But it doesn't say it in the film that it's her in disguise or anything. And but I think like if, you, if we had that, that would be so much better. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like this film just kind of lacks purpose and direction at a lot of points. Yeah. And especially early on. And then by the time, you're right, when by the time you get to like the action at the end and you're like, oh, here we go. It dies. And yeah. the movie's over. And it's like, oh, that was it. And, like, I had forgotten that. And, again, I think you're right. People don't remember 
a lot of this film. Hmm. And I would give it a 5 out of 10 as well. Okay. This has been the Once Again Podcast. Any questions, comments, or critiques can be addressed to our email at onceagainpod at gmail.com. Follow us on our social media accounts, Once Again Pod, all one word, on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. If you'd like to contribute to the podcast, we have several tiers available at patreon.com slash onceagainpod. As always, a like, follow, or share would be greatly appreciated. Thank you, and have a wonderful day. And remember, we will entertain you. We will always entertain you. Stiltskin always says that magic comes with a price. But for this price, you can get a nice piece of jewelry. Use code ONCEPOD for 10% off your first order at Unusual Magic Jewelry on Etsy. Click the link in the description.